Welcome to Fight Back Radio, the Marxist voice of labor and youth in Canada, and the best source for a revolutionary analysis of current events, perspectives, and theory. Jason Kenney is bitterly hated. It's no wonder after numerous scandals, budget cuts, and handouts to large corporations. Worst of all is the UCP's inaction in the face of the pandemic that has led to the deaths of thousands of Albertans. Kenny and the UCP have lost all authority to govern. In this talk, Comrade Larissa discusses what the is Jason Kenny doing and what's necessary to bring him down. And I want to open with the question that we titled this event as, what the fuck is Jason Kenny doing? And I'm being serious here. Like, if anybody actually knows what is going on in that man's pea-sized brain, please enlighten us in the discussion because I sure don't know what's going on. From where I'm sitting, the UCP government has lost all authority to govern, if they even had it in the first place, which is also debatable. It is actively complicit in the deaths of thousands of Albertans at this point. And to end this chaos, it's vital to bring down the UCP. Now, it's no secret that throughout this entire pandemic, Jason Kenney and the UCP, they bumbled from wave to wave, refusing to anticipate or react to anything that wasn't already directly under their noses, and even then, sometimes not reacting. In May of this year, just five short months ago, Alberta had the honor of having the highest per capita rate of COVID-19 in all of North America, and it's clear that the government has not learned a single thing as we find ourselves in another period of uncontrolled spread, spiking deaths, and another lockdown. On June 29th of this year, Chief Medical Officer of Health Dina Hinshaw announced that the province would move forward with stage three reopening plans. So in other words, nearly all restrictions would be lifted just in time for Canada Day and the Calgary Stampede. How this specific decision was made was, is really anybody's guess still. The goalpost for stage three reopening to go ahead was that 70% of eligible Albertans had a first dose of the vaccine. At this point, the Delta variant was already sweeping the world, and the early research into it uh, clearly indicated that not only was Delta more transmissible and resistant to vaccines, but also that a single dose, this goalpost that was set, was less than half as effective at providing protection from symptomatic infection than full dose, two doses. While case rates were low in late June following tighter restrictions that were implemented in early May in response to the spike, experts warned that lifting these restrictions completely while Alberta's rate of fully vaccinated individuals hovered at a truly abysmal 38% at the time could and likely would result in disaster as schools reopened and cold weather was pushing people inside in, in the winter period. So if it wasn't empirical evidence or research or even experience from the previous waves that informed the choice to remove all public health measures, the millisecond Alberta's case rates dropped, we're left asking who thought this was a good idea. Of course, it was Jason Kenney and his UCP cronies. That's who thought it was a good idea. Instead of putting an ounce of thought or foresight into the possible devastating effects of opening these floodgates too quickly, Jason Kenney was lost in this fanciful daydream. This daydream consists of him slipping on his cowboy boots, big 10-gallon hat, jumping on a horse, 
and galloping through the rest of his premiership, being hailed as the best leader Alberta has ever had. Now, not only did Jason Kenney think he could uh, wish away the pandemics by simply pretending it never existed, he couldn't pass up the opportunity to open the province just days before the Calgary Stampede about a week. And this isn't just because he hoped that burnt pancakes and some sort of prairie nostalgia would convince Albertans to forgive him for his deadly missteps of the past 16 months. The Calgary Stampede has long hosted politicians, uh, particularly conservative politicians, looking to cash in on the fundraising opportunities there, and the UCP was no exception. Given that the NDP has out-fundraised the UCP since the first quarter of 2020 and reported more than double the UCP's donations in quarter two of this year, 1.5 million compared to just 715,000, Jason Kenney was definitely feeling the financial pinch on his party. So while the UCP was living it up at the rodeo, of course, unmasked, uh, Albertans were catching and spreading COVID-19. Cases rose steadily in the weeks following the stampede, which was an event, as, as most of us know, was uh, meant to kick off the best summer ever, according to Jason Kenney. Now, I don't know about you, but I definitely did not have the best summer ever, and I 100% blame it on Jason Kenney, as I do with any of my personal problems. But despite hospitals bearing the brunt of the UCP's little publicity stunt, on July 28th, uh, Dina Hinshaw then announced that the legal isolation of confirmed close contacts Contact tracing, just the whole thing, and asymptomatic testing would end the following day, one day's notice. Additionally, that on August 16th, people who test positive for COVID would no longer be required to isolate at all, and that testing for people with mild symptoms would also end on August 16th. And Hinshaw justified this decision by stating that we must begin treating COVID like we would any other endemic respiratory illness, as well as prepare our healthcare system for seasonal demands such as influenza. She probably, I didn't check, but she probably also mentioned her hollow condolences for the deaths and told us to keep doing our part. Perhaps the Alberta government has been living in a completely different pandemic from the rest of us, but it's pretty clear that COVID-19, at least at this point, is not simply like any other seasonal illness. And just so everybody's on the same page here of what the messaging was around this, the UCP claimed that to avoid overwhelming healthcare infrastructure in our province, the very restrictions and services that slow the spread of COVID should be lifted, and that this would somehow safeguard hospitals. I'm really not a mathematician, but something does not add up in that equation. Following this announcement that the province would shift to this endemic approach to COVID-19, and as cases continued to rise, Albertans were rightfully demanding transparency as to how this decision to abandon all the restrictions was made. And what did they get? Well, they got our chief medical officer of health, uh, Pinky promising that the modeling data would be available at some point in the future, and that our team was really hard at work synthesizing it for public consumption. In other words, they were saying that Either Albertans were too stupid to understand the information, or the government knew that Albertans would very clearly understand that the modeling data did not align with their decision making. Luckily, we don't have to be left guessing anymore. After more than a month of this public pressure, the data was released and then immediately criticized by health experts. The premise of the decision was that more vaccine uptake would cause case counts and hospitalizations to, quote, decouple, meaning hospitals would not be overrun, 
a professor at the University of Victoria, who's a part of the BC COVID modeling group, uh, pointed out that there really wasn't much of a basis to assume that this decoupling would happen. The release, among other things, also emphasized other health concerns in Alberta, such as uh, reduced cancer screening rates, opioid deaths, and spiking syphilis rates in the midst of the pandemic. What is very suspiciously absent in the document, however, is any kind of acknowledgement of the direct hand that the UCP has played in exacerbating these very issues. From the cancellation of an Edmonton-based super lab that would bring medical testing under the public sector, to the shuttering of Canada's busiest safe consumption site in Lethbridge. The UCP is using crises that they have actively made worse as a shield from COVID-19 criticism. But we're being pretty hard on them here. Let's, let's pump the brakes. Who could really blame the provincial government for this gross negligence and deadly oversight? The UCP was really tied up all summer long fighting nurses and doctors to make time to justify their criminal actions to us lowly constituents. As per usual, the UCP waited until the 11th hour to acknowledge the complete absurdity and failure of their plan. Just three days before the lifting of those remaining restrictions on August 13th, Dina Hinshaw once again took to the podium to backpedal. They're very good at that. Backpedal on the previous July 28th announcement stating that initial modeling predicted 90 Albertans in hospital with the virus and that hospitalizations were trending, quote, somewhat higher than they anticipated. What does somewhat higher mean to the UCP? 62%, 62% higher than their projected estimates in the ICU, at which point we had 146 people there. In response to this very significant miscalculation, the Chief Medical Officer of Health assured Albertans that while there was no issue with hospital capacity, the province would postpone the lifting of restrictions for at least six weeks, but they would not re-implement any restrictions that were lifted previously on July 29th. So that was the contact tracing, uh, legal close contact isolation, and asymptomatic testing. So you fast forward two weeks from there, we have zero COVID updates from the province, exponential growth in ICU admissions, and the school year just around the corner within a matter of days. A panel of Albertan doctors and scientists instead held their own press conference to fill the void left by our absentee politicians. They continued their warnings that the situation in the province was becoming exponentially worse, that measures had to be implemented without delay to avoid a fourth wave disaster. Did Jason Kenney heed these repeated and increasingly urgent warnings? No, of course not. The Premier of Alberta, in the midst of this public health crisis, was on a 23-day vacation from his duties and did not face the public again until September 1st. During this absence, Alberta saw ICU admissions quadruple. We were at over 12,000 active cases, 465 in hospital, and 107 in the ICU. While Kenny was busy ensuring that he didn't, quote, burn out, nurses were informed that they would soon be required to work mandatory overtime and prepare to invoke emergency triage protocols. Upon his return, the healthcare system was teetering on a razor thin edge of collapse and vaccine uptake had uh, slowed almost to a crawl. Instead of any doing anything that made a shred of sense, Jason Kenney announced not vaccine passports, not restrictions, 
but that Alberta would offer a $100 incentive for anyone getting the vaccine until October 14th, a program which would see an estimated 20 million taxpayer dollars evaporate into thin air if it even worked. In the same press conference, Kenny was quoted as saying, if the choice is between a sustained crisis in our hospitals or, God forbid, widespread restrictions, which I want to avoid at all costs, or finding some way to get the attention of those late vaccine, those vaccine latecomers, we are going to choose the latter. And funnily enough, this $100 gift card was not the silver bullet that Kenny hoped it would be. And he ended up striking out on all three counts. While there was a small uptick in vaccinations, experts said that it wasn't statistically significant. The Delta variant continued to spread like syphilis until the healthcare system started to collapse. Now, unfortunately, it's not just Jason Kenney who has to live with the consequences of this wishful thinking. In the last two weeks, the healthcare system has been on the brink of total collapse. The Alberta Children's Hospital in Calgary announced that 75% of their operating rooms are closed already. They've been reduced to life and limb procedures only. Major hospitals in Edmonton experienced more capacity strain over the weekend. Uh, healthcare union leaders have called upon the government to request military support for the fourth wave, um, which the UCP did end up doing, but only after the federal election. They said they wouldn't know where to send the request to. The UCP is banging on the doors of provinces across the country to take our ICU patients. Countless Albertans have had life-saving surgeries canceled. There have been ambulance shortages in major cities and rural areas in Alberta. And to even say that we're still on the brink of collapse is, uh, is, is not true at this point. If you get in a car crash and you don't have access to an ICU bed, healthcare workers, or let alone an ambulance to get you there, you will die. If your father or grandfather has a heart attack and the hospital is operating under do not resuscitate triage, he will die. This is not some apocalyptic hypothetical of the future that's waiting patiently for when Jason Kenney decides to dislodge his head from his ass, where it seems permanently affixed. It's happening right now. And if this isn't a healthcare system in collapse, I don't know what is, and I don't want to wait to find out. Time and time again, the UCP finds itself with the blood of Albertans on its hands. And like the greasy little rat that he is, backed into a corner, Kenny finally faced the public to declare a state of public health emergency and address the nightmare going on in the province he supposedly manages. After months upon months of experts calling upon the UCP to introduce vaccine passports, Kenny finally cracked. This is despite his rallying cry from behind a pancake cooktop at the Stampede that Alberta would never see a vaccine passport. This was a promise that the UCP hoped to cash in for more donations. Uh, Kenny also said that it would probably violate various privacy acts. It doesn't, by the way. I thought that was interesting. And in order to face all directions at once, uh, try to salvage just a shred of support from his very quickly shrinking base, the vaccine passport is not actually a vaccine passport, of course, according to Kenny, but rather a restrictions exemption program. So in addition to this non-vaccine passport, right, non-vaccine, um, new restrictions were also announced, and they were very similar to previous half measures that we've seen in earlier waves. 
in a fashion that we've come to know and expect from the UCP government, the rollout of this program and patchwork of restrictions has been completely abysmal. Jason Kenney has once again resorted to the semi-restrictions and flip-flopping uh, with inconsistent measures for vaccinated and unvaccinated restaurants that serve alcohol and those which don't, when to distance and when it's okay to not distance, which businesses can opt out and which can't, when schools are considered an indoor gathering and when they're not. Decoding this so-called plan is nearly as painstaking as listening to Kenny dodge questions and curve accountability at his press conferences, you know, the ones that he actually bothers to show up to. Now, he isn't content to only waste Albertans' time by forcing them to solve this series of complex riddles just to understand the latest restrictions. Following the news that proof of vaccination would be required in less than a week, the My Health Alberta website was completely overloaded with traffic, something that surely could have and should have been anticipated. Albertans waited in queues over 100,000 people long to access their health records, and in some cases, they were rewarded with an error message at the end of it. In response to this, just one day before the restrictions exemption program came into effect, a simpler, faster, and less headache-inducing website was launched specifically for uh, Albertans to access a printable card with their vaccine uh, records. This sounds great, sounds fantastic, and it would be if the PDF that they put these records on was not completely and fully editable. Like, the provincial government of Alberta is so unbelievably incompetent that they released vaccine records that could be edited by anyone with access to a computer or a smartphone. Perhaps instead of handing out tax dollars in exchange for vaccinations, the UCP should consider putting that money to preparing for programs and restrictions before simply announcing them on live television and expecting things to work themselves out after. <coughs> the best summer ever, quote, heavy air quotes, has paved the way for the worst fall ever, and it's the fault of the entire UCP government. Kenny himself has a major accountability problem and has only once apologized for his handling of the pandemic, which he quickly retracted not five minutes later, I assume when he let his eyes like stray from the teleprompter. He much prefers to rely on excuses and just straight up lies to shield from criticism, with healthcare workers on the verge of collapse from fatigue due to long hours and emotional strain during the pandemic. Kenny said like, I was on vacation, so I didn't burn out. Relax, guys. Incredibly, according to Kenny, quote, no one could have predicted the fourth wave, and there was just nothing we could do. Everyone is sick and tired of hearing the same things over and over again from this overgrown toddler of a premier. And it's not just Albertans who are fed up with Jason Kenny's behavior throughout this pandemic. There's an uprising of dipshits bursting out of the UCP caucus, a phenomenon that Kenny is quite familiar with at this point. The latest round of MLAs openly breaking from the party line, they say that Kenny waited too long to act on the fourth wave, with some demanding his resignation. Richard Godfrey publicly criticized Kenny, stating that the words never, passport, and open for good may go down in embarrassment and infamy. Agree with him there. Jason Kenney's press secretary publicly fired back at Godfrey, can't let Kenny get bullied, you know, saying that the UCP has always done the right thing in the moment and never made any mistakes. That's debatable. 
Um, the UCP's website was mysteriously down for two days uh, and then scrubbed of all content uh, a few days after the lockdown was announced. In an attempt to save face and halt the calls for his resignation within his own party, perhaps whip opposition back into line, Kenny shifted Tyler Shandro from Minister of Health to Minister of Labor and Immigration. You don't want him there either. But this has not even had the calming effect that Kenny was hoping for in this move. The division within the party runs top to bottom. According to Western Standard, it's a right-wing website run by former Wild Rose MLA Derek Bildebrandt, uh, more than 30 UCP constituencies are voting to secure an early leadership review, um, with the local UCP presidents leading the charge. The constituency of Olds, Didsbury, Three Hills has already voted in favor of this by a margin of 27 to 1. Even the UCP VP of policy has now come out and called for Kenny to resign. Kenny is already slated for a review six months before the next scheduled election, but his own party isn't even inclined to wait that long. The sharp increase in the amount of leaks and public spats within the government is quite interesting, quite indicative. Information has flowed from all different parts of the state and about the UCP's privatization plans, uh, various internal rifts, and even plans to avoid a lockdown. There is a rat inside Kenny's cabinet, and I'm not just referring to Jason himself here. The health restrictions imposed by Kenny as the fourth wave pushed hospitals to collapse has brought even more of these kinds of internal divisions out into the open. Even, uh, even Hinshaw's office had a leak where it was revealed that the UCP pressured her and dismissed her advice in favor of their desire to open the economy. People who previously held very secretive information at their jobs for years now find government decisions so upsetting or so disgusting that they risk their careers publishing information. And it's incredibly embarrassing for Kenny. I personally wouldn't classify the slimeball MLAs, which make up the UCP cabinet, as good or moral or even tolerable. But at this point, even they can't stomach what he is doing to the province. Jason Kenney has no way out, no matter where he turns. He has the lowest approval rating of any provincial leader in Canada at just 31%. And internal party divisions are threatening to tear the UCP apart. To save lives and actually end this sorry experiment, the UCP government has to be brought down. Scandalously, Rachel Notley and the NDP, they're very stuck in this mentality of the loyal parliamentary opposition waiting for the next election and have not even called for Kenny's resignation, something that a lot of the UCP itself agrees with. Kenny's resignation, however, would not be nearly enough. In their short tenor, the entire UCP has demonstrated again and again that they are unfit to rule. While Kenny may have been their uh, figurehead, the vast majority of MLAs and higher-ups of the party have stood by and actively supported insane and murderous policies. If Kenny were to resign and hand the reins to a successor, nothing would fundamentally change about the direction of this government. What is needed is a concerted campaign for a one-day stay-at-home general strike. There is an incredible desire to fight the UCP, and the entire situation is creeping closer and closer to a boiling point. If there was an outlet for this anger to be pointedly expressed, the response would be overwhelming. Alberta is, quite honestly, ready to explode and is just looking for that point of combustion.
it's time to act. And I hope to hear some thoughts in the discussion and I'll leave it at that for right now. Um, I'll try to touch on everything that was discussed. Um, yeah, James, when you mentioned it's not just a crisis that's isolated in Alberta, it's not just, you know, it's not just Jason Kenney kind of being a dweeb and ruining things for us. Uh, it is the entire system of capitalism. Um, <coughs> and all of these contradictions, uh, unemployment, homelessness, um, overproduction, uh, producing not for people, but for profits. Uh, these are all inherent to the system. It's why we cannot simply just reform it away and expect everything to, um, you know, magically be amazing. Um, the ruling class really lives on a different planet than the rest of us, which I think has been so clear during this pandemic. I remember at the beginning of it when some um, leaders, national leaders around the world, we're basically talking about working people as if they were just like herded animals, um, you know, herd immunity, but only for the working class people who are vulnerable and who will actually die from COVID when there was also no science to back up that kind of herd immunity uh, at the time anyway. And we see that the pandemic in their minds, it's over. They're, they're kind of over it. They're like, all right, this was fun, but we're kind of done now, right? And Jason Kenney has been acting in this kind of a manner where, um, I think more than anywhere else that I've seen personally, just a lot of like waiting to see what happens. A lot of just like hoping that things will turn out without actual um, action to make those things happen. And overall, the UCP Kenny is tired of this criticism. They're tired of like us whining about our family members dying from this. Uh, you know, people the ruling class doesn't care about one way or the other. And they're just kind of sick of it. Um, Heather, you talked about Albertan students and you focused on post-secondary students, which is also, um, is, is, is a quite a pressing issue. Um, and then also like K to 12 students, as most people know, are, they got it rough. Um, these, these cuts not being a one-time thing, uh, making that very clear with the obscene 7% increases per year. I'm glad I graduated already. Um, <coughs> Yeah, it's all very, um, it's, it's a perfect storm for what you were talking about for the student uh, student action, student strikes. And really it, it results in this brain drain in our province where uh, previously our curriculum was used in uh, one of the territories, it's used in some international programs because by and large, um, our curriculum for a long time has been uh, quite good and we get quite good results from it in our province. Um, so on the K to 12 level, there's that. And then there's also, yeah, literally driving people out of the province who do not want to live here anymore. They're not here for the oil. Uh, they sure as hell aren't here to be doctors or nurses. Um, <coughs> and I think we're going to see a lot of lasting consequences of this UCP brain drain on the province. Um, yeah, the UCP not giving kind of adequate support for really anything, but in terms of the, the schools where they get no notice to make these things happen, it's like they imagine that schools can just snap a, a finger and go online, uh, that university students can just go online at the drop of a hat, um, but the supports are not actually in place for that to happen. What is it, like water from a rock, like you can't wring water from a stone? Um Will, you talked about um, 
And a couple of people talked about this idea that Albertans are inherently reactionary or conservative. I don't like to think of myself as reactionary or conservative on a personal level. Um, and doing this kind of work in Fight Back, I know and I see for a fact that many Albertans are not this, this stereotype kind of like redneck uh, conservative. Um, if people have a viable way out of this, they will move to action if they see that it is possible and they believe that the risk to their own livelihood, their own um, kind of existence um, is worth the gains that they can get from taking whatever action, uh, then they will do that. Um, L, um, I will, I'll talk about yours actually at the end because it leads nicely into the very end of it, how we can actually kind of capitalize on this very abundant Jason Kenny hate. Um, it is interesting how even conservatives, though, well, I will talk about it actually now, <laughs> who are fed up with Kenny, um, both in the province and in general. One thing that I noticed and a lot of other people noticed is that Kenny is on the tightest of leashes when there's any kind of campaign, any kind of publicity that the uh, federal conservatives are trying to kind of drum up and uh, gain support for. You noticed Kenny did not appear during pretty much all of O'Toole's federal campaign uh, because he's awful for PR. <laughs> Nobody wants that. People were tweeting that, you know, if you don't want what's happening in Alberta to happen across Canada, do not vote conservative. Obviously, the conservatives do not want that on a federal level, that kind of uh, image around them. Um, yeah, Alan, this, this transfer of wealth coming directly from the working class. It's like the two articles put side by side and it's the same number of the capitalists gaining money and the working class losing that amount of money. Um, and I, I, I thought of the, uh, the articles about like employment shortages as well. Um, and then you see the numbers of COVID deaths and it's like, well, you killed everybody by not doing anything about this pandemic soon enough. Um, and now you want to whine that nobody wants to go to work. It's a it's very interesting logic. Um, Aiden, I really liked your point about kind of prioritizing these short-term gains over the long-term investment. And we see it time and time again. It's uh, part of the reason why we're dealing with this kind of health crisis, um, not only in Alberta, but just in general, is that uh, there's been such a, a such austerity and such lack of investment in building an ICU infrastructure that has more than 200 beds in an entire province that is completely incapable of handling what we're being forced to handle right now. Um, <coughs> it also reminded me of how there was a previous coronavirus vaccine being developed, um, but it was abandoned despite epidemiologists, the experts in this field, warning that we would 100% experience more coronaviruses in the future. And look at where we are today. Um, Cheryl, yeah, there was way too much to talk about when I was trying to write this lead off. It was, it was very difficult to focus <laughs> because there was, uh, there's just so much in kind of deciding what to include and what not to include. It was quite, uh, it was, there was a lot that got cut, obviously. Um, yeah, I imagine Kenny and the UCP kind of pushing like a teenager would. I imagine, I don't have a, a kid, but I imagine how a teenager would push those boundaries uh, to see how far they can really get before people actually do something about it. Um, <coughs> these decisions and risks being downloaded to us, even when there is a way out. I, 
Um, I was thinking about the Liberals $10 a day childcare proposal. Not that I necessarily believe that the Liberals will make this happen in their five-year plan, but whatever. I will be proven wrong happily at that time. But Alberta is the only province who opted out of that. Why would you do that? <laughs> do you know how expensive childcare is? It's ridiculous. He said something like Albertans need a different model, like really just said, we're built different. We don't want cheap childcare. It was, it was absurd. Um, these massive salaries and it's, they don't have to worry about what we are worrying about. Um, they don't have to worry, like Cheryl was saying about sending their kid to daycare because their kid has a private nanny because they can afford it. So it's, um, We've seen this time and time again. We saw third party organizations taking responsibility of tracking COVID cases in schools. I think that Save Our Students or Support Our Students um, school tracker, which they actually can't do anymore because the government is not contact tracing. So um, in addition to this like downloading and outsourcing to these third party volunteers um, in schools, in Alberta, instead of actually contact tracing, because their system got so overwhelmed, the, the government's contact tracing system, teachers and administrators were tasked with contact tracing, something they did not have training in, were not getting paid for, and should not have been doing in the first place. It's, it's completely asinine. Like you said, you could go on and on because there was just so much. Um, yeah, Sarah, I just, I looked up the, the Venezuelan woman crying about the restrictions, the lockdown, and she came out and said that she was not crying and that all that she said is that she just wanted to see a balance of economy and public health. That's all she said. Uh, and, and Kenny kind of added like, you know, the, the dramatics to it to make himself seem like this white knight coming in to save all the small business owners. So yeah, I like that she came out and was like, no, actually, that's not true. It's uh, quite embarrassing. Um, yeah, Marcus, I was going to go into the, uh, the, the crash in Alberta, but I think you summed it up really well. Um, I did want to add that Jason Kenney's game plan is really not new. Uh, Rob Lyon, you compared it to Klein. Um, and in 2001, when oil was actually in a relatively depressed state, uh, crude oil prices, uh, less than it's what it is right now, if I understand the charts correctly, which is, you know, maybe a 50-50 on that. Um, Klein was demanding a wage rollback from teachers of 5%. And teachers strike struck over this. But basically, the Klein government was promising that if they took this collective bargain, they took that hit, that 5% wage hit, which they ultimately did do when they were ordered back to work. But um if they took this deal, that the jobs of their coworkers and their friends, their colleagues, uh, would be saved, that they wouldn't cut teacher jobs. Um, there's a Taylor Swift song. I think it's Taylor Swift. It goes, I think I've seen this one before and I didn't like the ending. Um, any guesses from the audience if those promises were kept? Did all the teachers in Alberta keep their jobs? No, of course they didn't. Um, so we've seen the result of these past conservative cuts and austerity before, and we have the opportunity to learn from that experience and change the outcome this time around. Um, yeah, Rob Lyon, I only had the, you, you said that there was the ridiculous curriculum. It's a correction. It is being implemented as far as I know. Uh, some boards this year are piloting very select sections. I don't think any school is piloting the whole curriculum, but some of them are piloting 
the the basically like one good paragraph of like the language arts curriculum or the math. Um, and as far as I know, they're still planning to implement it next year, which is still ridiculous. I, I don't know how that's going to go down. What's, what's going to happen there, but, um, and then Ian, I'll finish with yours and then kind of go to my, uh, more like, what do we need to do part? But, um, it was a really interesting point you made about, uh, kind of the people who didn't want to get the vaccine wouldn't get it based on the incentive because it's, you know, yeah, if you were holding off because you were too lazy to book your your appointment at your pharmacy, then yeah, of course, you're going to go get the hundred bucks. But otherwise, um, this kind of distrust in medical messaging. Um, <coughs> and like you said, I think you said it was critical messaging at a very critical, crucial point uh, during the pandemic. Um, and I'm not trying to sympathize with anti-maskers or anti-vaxxers. Um, but in a lot of ways, you have to ask, how do you expect a lot of people to respond? As I've mentioned, the conservative reign, especially in Alberta, but also elsewhere, um, is a considerable reason that public services such as hospitals, uh, accessible mental health care, uh, post-secondary education, um, opioid crisis, um, especially in rural areas, why should they trust the messaging from the government in these cases when they've seen these kind of dominoes tumbling over in terms of, of medical messaging? Um, <clears throat> the UCP wouldn't even release like how many of their MLAs were vaccinated. Um, they were saying that um, mandating vaccines would be a violation of rights and freedoms. They even said that restrictions would be infringing on people's personal liberties or something ridiculous like that. Uh, they removed legislation that would allow a government to impose mandatory vaccines under an emergency situation. Um, even like Hinshaw wearing a mask and sanitizing, but Jason Kenney with no mask at press conferences, what I imagine like wiping snot on a suit jacket just off camera. The messaging from the UCP around masks, vaccines and restrictions is so unbelievably inconsistent, which is so deadly in a situation like this, like we've seen. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's no surprise that some people don't trust the messaging and they call him out. They say, oh, he's flip-flopping, you know, oh, he's getting too much heat for not having restrictions. Now he's just doing it as a political move. Um, and seeing where those ideas kind of come from can help to uh, fight against them and, you know, clarify those misunderstandings. Um, and then I'll go to that question about kind of how we how we actually fight this. So we cannot wait another two years. Personally, on a, on a very personal level, I can't wait two more years uh, for an election to get rid of the UCP. Uh, too many people are completely needlessly dying right now. The AFL um, president, Gil McGowan, he described the UCP's pandemic response as government negligence causing death. And this is 100% accurate, true. Uh, the, the murderous kind of tyranny, tyranny, reign, response, uh, must end, uh, must be ended with the power of the working class. So last year, in response to the October 26th wildcat strike of healthcare workers, the 11,000, I think Marcus mentioned it, uh, the AFL launched this Stand Up to Kenny campaign. And then recently, Rob, you mentioned QP uh, in Alberta, which is an affiliate of the AFL, uh, created the campaign to, quote, fire the UCP. 
So these campaigns have been mostly preoccupied uh, with very small protests, like organizing email blitzes to UCP MLAs uh, and writing in chalk outside their offices. But the reality of the situation is that the stakes have been raised. It's not enough anymore to write mean messages outside of Adriana LaGrange's office, as funny as it is. Um, the situation demands more radical tactics than what we are presently getting. And I think somebody else in the discussion echoed this frustration that organizations are not doing enough. Currently, the Stand Up to Kenny campaign has no upcoming events listed. So all signs show that any kind of movement against the current government would have immense public support. People are really sick of riding this UCP COVID roller coaster. They want to get off. The Alberta ner nurses, not nurses, nurses have been asking their union president, uh, when is the strike vote? Teachers in several smaller divisions across the province have voted already to go on strike. Uh, doctors had their 98 non-confidence. I think teachers, it was 99 at their... Um, like conference, they voted against, against confidence in Adriana Lagrange. Um, <coughs> the call for an Alberta general strike has been trending on and off on Twitter for like over a year now. Sometimes it'll just pop up and I'll be like, oh, what did Kenny do today? Uh, the anger toward the government has really never been larger, and all that is needed to harness it is an ounce of solid leadership. If the AFL were to set out a bold plan for a stay at home strike, uh, to bring down the UCP, the response would be massive and the UCP government could be brought down from this. It is the historical role of the trade unions to push this kind of action forward. A single worker, any single one of us in this room, we do not have the reach, the power or the resources to effectively bring down the UCP. And if you do, please raise your hand now. I want to talk to you after. This is the job of the trade unions and the NDP. Again, the fact that the NDP has not publicly called on Kenny to resign, unacceptable, completely unacceptable. And then they wonder why they've maintained status in terms of House of Commons in the federal election. Um, it's time for, time for an organized offensive, a one-day stay-at-home general strike to bring the province to a complete and screeching halt. This is, the only, this is only possible if the organization's capable of planning this actually do the planning and make it happen. Alberta cannot wait till the election or a leadership review or any of the parliamentary processes created specifically to slow the working class down in doing these kinds of things. We are the ones dying in this pandemic. Our families are dying in this pandemic. We are losing jobs in this pandemic. We are losing social supports in this pandemic. And I'm sure that we will be paying for it long after the pandemic if the UCP has anything to do with it. We are bearing the burden of the UCP's inaction throughout this entire period. And only we, the working class, can actually kick them to the curb for good. Thank you for listening to Fight Back Radio. Fight Back is a revolutionary organization fighting for the socialist transformation of society. We are the Canadian section of the International Marxist Tendency. We actively seek to educate workers and youth in the genuine ideas of Marxism in order to fight back against capitalist attacks and austerity and bring an end to capitalism. However, we won't be able to do this on our own. So if you agree with us, get involved. 
we can be found online at marxist.ca, on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok at Canada Marxists, on Instagram at Socialist Fightback, and on YouTube as Fightback La Riposte. For international news and analysis, check out In Defense of Marxism at marxist.com. The music in this episode was General Strike by Soul Jazz Orchestra. They can be found at souljazzorchestra.com.